read an article this week that is uh, <clears throat> indicated this is going to be the busiest Thanksgiving ever for air travel. I was talking to some people this morning who are about to fly out of town. One organization estimates that 30.6 million passengers will board airline flights in the U.S. during this Thanksgiving season. What an incredible number. So that means some of you are heading out of town. Some of you are greeting people who will be arriving as travelers. And for those of us who enjoy social media, you'll be scrolling through, seeing numerous posts of people complaining, because that's what you do when you fly, about their flight, their airports, security, lost baggage, people that go barefoot in the airplanes and sit next to you, and so many things that we'll get to enjoy on social media. But I was thinking about this recently. It's interesting how much complaining people do about the most convenient form of travel known to man. Now, I know it's not as convenient as maybe it once was. It's gotten busier. They've had to tighten things with regards to security. But, you know, your flight's delayed by 20 minutes, or you have to sit on the tarmac for an extra 45 minutes. But the truth is, in about three and a half hours, you can fly across the country where it would have taken you about 22 hours if you got in the car. So that's an incredible thing. You're soaring in the air over mountains, over rivers, over traffic jams, and you land safely, hopefully, right? How quickly we become used to something that is miraculous. And uh, really, that's what flying planes, in my opinion, is. The way that the Lord set up uh, the uh, science to work in that way and uh, the laws... Uh, the way that they work so that jets can soar through the air, it's miraculous. But we do the same thing with cell phones and with the internet. Is we just complain about them. We feel so entitled to instant connection to the information superhighway or to one another with text messages at the drop of a hat or telephone calls or even FaceTime transferring video around the world that when all of a sudden we have a dropped call, it ruins our day. You know, or whenever all of a sudden it starts to lag and the video starts to buffer. You know, we just can't believe this, that this thing that we have that's not connected to anything, we can tap a couple buttons and it's just so frustrating when it doesn't work. Well, today we're going to talk about being grateful and how we fail to demonstrate gratitude in our lives. Although we've got some Christmas trees up and uh, Christmas is in the air here uh, because we're getting ready for our Columbia Christmas pageant. So if you don't have your tickets... You need to get those. It's going to be a great time. But we're not skipping over Thanksgiving at First Baptist Church. We're going to focus on being thankful today in our uh, Bibles as we turn to Luke 17. That's where we're going to be this morning. And Luke tells us how when Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem, um, he performs specifically, Luke records, five miracles along the way. um, And also interacts with different people. We're going to be focusing on the fourth miracle that Jesus performs as he is traveling east to west along the border between Samaria and Galilee. The focus of the passage is not on the miracle, but it's on the response to the miracle. So let me read to you Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. 
<clears throat> now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus heals ten men with leprosy, but only one returns to express gratitude, which leads ultimately to that man's spiritual healing. You and I are to be one in ten when it comes to demonstrating true gratitude to God. So what example does the one in ten leper give us for living a life of gratitude? We live the one in ten life when we trust Jesus for healing, praise Jesus for blessings, and believe Jesus for salvation. So as Jesus made his way through villages... You can imagine that crowds would start to swell, particularly those who had serious needs. They would gather to see if they could get close to Jesus and hopefully experience healing. Now for us, modern medicine has, uh, maybe makes it difficult for us to understand what that would be like. Because whenever even the, the uh, most significant need in their period of time, for us, we can get treated very easily. But imagine in the first century to have something and to realize you've got no hope of being healed. So modern medicine, in a way, is a mi real miracle for us because we can be treated very simply for some of uh, life's complications that would have been a death sentence for people in the first century. So as Jesus makes his way through a village, there were these men with leprosy, and they um, were standing at a distance calling out to Jesus. Now you're familiar with the stigma. <clears throat> you're familiar with the stigma that comes along with leprosy in the first century. Um, this is a disease that would begin um, with pain, and then the pain would turn into numbness. Then the skin would begin to lose its color, and then it would start to develop scales. It would become scaly. That's why we call it leprosy, because of the Greek word lepos, which means scaly. So that's what would happen. And then the spots um, would become sores and ulcers, and then it begins to swell, and it would start to furrow the skin. That's what would happen to someone with leprosy. So this is a disease that you can see from a distance. And if you were to go up and touch, you'd be able to feel the leprosy. And in fact, those sores, and because of what they went through, it would emit an odor so you could smell it. And it also very often attacked the vocal cords so you could hear it. So these people just had a, it was a real stigma to have leprosy in their period of time. It was also considered a death sentence because there was no cure. The truth is, only recently have we developed ways to treat those with leprosy. So it's thought also to be contagious. So people stayed far away because they didn't want this. But the Old Testament law also commanded that those with leprosy would be segregated from the rest of the population because it was considered to be unclean. Well, Jesus had encountered people with leprosy before now. In Luke 5, we know he met a man with leprosy. And he uh, reaches out to heal him and touches him. So, of course, shattering all of the rules and the regulations and the expectations of the way you would treat somebody with leprosy. So in this encounter, it's from a distance that they start shouting out to Jesus. And they're saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
Now, of course, this would be like a general statement. You would say that if you were in need of food, too. Have mercy on us. Or if you needed money, alms for the poor. Have mercy on us. But these men referred to Jesus as master. Nobody called Jesus master except for the disciples. The scriptures explain that people referred to him as rabbi or teacher. So these guys did not want alms for the poor. They didn't want food. They wanted healing. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus had heard that cry from one village to the next for his entire ministry. Mark 10 tells about a blind man named Bartimaeus who called out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus did. Matthew 9 tells of two other blind men who called out for mercy, and Jesus heard them. Matthew 15 tells about a Canaanite woman who had a daughter who was possessed by a demon, and she cried out on behalf of her daughter, Jesus, have mercy. And then there was also in Matthew 17 a father who had a son who was out of his mind. It said he's kept throwing himself into the fire. And so he called out for mercy, and Jesus heard him. So on and on and on. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the needs of people around you? Have you ever felt like it's just like everybody is so, has so many needs, I don't even know where to start? I know we feel that sometimes in our own community. In 2010, I went with a few people, several here from First Baptist Church. Dr. Mike was there, Daryl, and a few other folks. And we went to Haiti right after the effects of the earthquakes. It was days after that. We were in Port-au-Prince. And we were at a place called Kiskea University that the, I think it's the, uh, um, the U.S. military had defended so that inside there could be medical clinic. I think a Boston trauma unit came there to care for those who had medical needs. But right out in front was the soccer field, and it had become a refugee camp because people were abandoning their homes, even if they didn't collapse because they felt unstable, and they were escaping to these places like this. So this soccer field became a tent city. I mean, not, I mean, just sheets and tarps, anything to cover people from the sun, and not really on any kind of particular piece of land, just attached to one another. And so we were there, and we went out among the people and thought, what can we do here? We had a couple doctors. And so we went from tent to tent or tarp to tarp and said, is there anything we can do? I remember uh, an infant, even just a couple weeks old, that was living there in this tent city. And uh, even uh, someone 80 or 90 years old that was living there. Just so many needs in fact, we went from tent to tent until it was too overwhelming. We had to set up uh, kind of an organized effort where people would form a line. And we did this for a couple of days and really just barely felt like we had done anything because the needs were so great. People were hungry. People needed water. They had grief they were dealing with. And then they were all dealing with, of course, just the trauma from what they had gone through. So an uh, overwhelming thing. Right now, uh, we still see that the wildfires in uh, California are ravaging. Of course, uh, I think they're still saying hundreds who are unaccounted for. People losing homes, people losing... It just seems overwhelming. And if you're like me, you have people in your own life. People that just need a miracle from the Lord. And you feel like it's just so overwhelming. It is to me. But I am confident it is not overwhelming for the Lord Jesus. Being one in ten begins with trusting Jesus for healing. Sometimes when I'm asked or maybe compelled to count my blessing, my blessings in life, I first start considering my needs. And that's not a great route to get there, you know. I start thinking of all the things I don't have before I can think of the things that I do. You know, but we do. We have so much to be thankful for. But when it comes to our needs, 
The question is, do I trust God enough to believe He can do something about my need, about my situation, or maybe for the people that I care about and know and am lifting up to Him? We don't really know any biographical details about these ten men with leprosy. Um, We don't know. Maybe they had sought out Jesus in other villages and they had just missed Him. Or maybe they did see Him, but Jesus walked on by. Maybe they sought out other miracle workers just looking for something. But what I would imagine is that this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Jesus is coming through the village. So you can imagine the crowds probably just clamored to get as close as they could. They knew this might be their one chance to receive healing, so they cry out for mercy. I'm sure it was not a quiet thing. I'm sure they were loud and other people told them to be quiet, just shouting. It's kind of like whenever a political person comes to town and people want to shake their hand or get an autograph. And they're just trying to push up there, but they're remaining separate. So from a distance, just shouting out. You know, I don't know how many chances these ten leprous men had to call out to Jesus. But I know that you have access to Jesus the Master 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter the state of your being. It doesn't matter what situation you're facing or the need that you have, the master is available. You don't have to wait for him to pass through your town. You don't have to shout out his name hoping he'll hear it. You can whisper because he is never far from us. But I think we've grown so accustomed to this miraculous thing called prayer that we've become a people who do not pray. What is your prayer life like? Do you pray when it's convenient? If you're like me, you definitely pray when you feel desperate. I remember when I was a student at Carolina, every day, multiple times I was praying for a parking place. God, just please, a parking place is all I need. I made all kinds of promises to him in those moments. But is that what your prayer life is like? Do you pray quick uh, prayers, maybe rehearsed prayers that just kind of roll off the tongue before a meal, that just kind of wrote thing, you know what you're going to say, and you don't even think about it anymore? You know, being one in ten begins with trusting Jesus. It requires faith. Because when we call out to God in prayer, we are calling out into the dark, expecting that there is a God who's out there listening, who's concerned, and can get involved and do something about it. That's what prayer is. Well, I want to challenge you to take time this day to make a list of a few items that you can just start praying for if you're not already doing that. It might be something that you've been saying, I need to pray about, but you haven't started. Or maybe it's something you haven't even thought to pray about yet, but it's overwhelming you right now. It's kind of stressing you out. You're like, if you could hurry this up, i got to do something about this. Those things, maybe four or five things you might write down. And for the next six or seven weeks, till the end of the year, you say, you know what? I am going to regularly pray for this. That's what God wants us to do. Be bold and be faithful to pray. Being one in ten begins with trusting Jesus. Secondly, being one in ten is about praising Jesus for blessings. After the lepers cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, we then read, verse 14, when he saw them, this is Jesus, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. While we think of lepers as being outcasts and we think 
They have leprosy, so they're probably just thought to be contagious. Nobody wants to be around it. We know that's probably not true, but that's what the people assumed. It's the same way like, you know, this time of the year where you're kind of like, do we really have to shake hands? Can we just wave at each other? You know, we don't want to spread it. What's the same thing? People would just back away. And so these uh, people with leprosy were kind of separated from the group. But also the Levitical law commanded them to remain separate because they were unclean. So the only way for them to be welcomed back among the people was for a priest to declare them clean. Jesus does nothing to heal them. Do you read that? He doesn't say, be healed. He doesn't, um, you know, when he healed the blind man, he spit in the dirt and kind of put it on the guy's eye. He doesn't do any of that. What does he say to He just commands them. He says, now go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, you would normally wait to go to the priests until you were healed. You wouldn't go and say, well, am I healed yet? Am I clean yet? No, no, get away. You wouldn't do that. But they turn, obey Jesus, and they discovered as they are walking towards the priests, they've been healed. It's really hard to put yourselves in the sandals of these ten lepers who were healed that day. I mean, can you imagine just the sheer joy that must have been? Can you imagine being set free like that? I imagine as they just look down and like, oh my goodness. Or look at one another, it, it's gone. You, you're, you're healed. I imagine there would have been amazing tears of joy, probably shouts, probably even leaping. I'm, it was probably very undignified because their lives had been changed. That's what had happened to them. We do get a glimpse of what it was like because we see it in the life of this one man with leprosy, the Samaritan. To be, have leprosy would create a lonely feeling. But to be a Samaritan with leprosy had to be much worse. Because the Samaritan was already an outcast among the Jewish people. They were thought of as less than, separated out, kind of ignored. So this is a double outcast. A, an outcast among outcasts. And Luke tells us that the Samaritan leper does four things when he realizes he's been healed. First of all, we read... He is glorifying God. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so lucky. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so glad I shouted loud. He says, glory to God. Because there's no other explanation for this than him. Secondly, he does it with a loud voice. Very undignified way. He's not praying a private prayer that, you know, it's silent. He is out loud for everybody to hear. I live in a house that's very loud. My children are loud. I am loud. My wife is a little bit loud sometimes too. We're just, I grew up in a loud home. Don't tell my mother. But my mother, I remember waking up in the morning. She would be downstairs in a whole other part of the house on the phone talking. And she's just loud. That's what she, so this guy though just gets loud and he starts shouting for what the Lord had done. For all intents and purposes, this was a dead man. He had been cut off from the living. <clears throat> now all of a sudden he's made whole. So I think I would get loud about that too. Then he walks up to Jesus, and the third thing we see is it says he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Of course, that's an act of reverence, an act of respect. It's a posture of worship to say, oh man, oh man, what have you, I can't believe you've done this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's the fourth thing, he thanks Jesus. Gratitude is when we perceive something good as coming into our life, and we recognize it is not something we have earned or something we are entitled to, but it is a true gift from someone who has good intentions toward us. That's what gratitude is. So we say thank you for that. 
Now, only one out of ten healed men verbalized gratitude to Jesus. And you think, how is that? I mean, what's wrong with the other nine? And then we get on our, you know, high horse and we're like, they're, they're terrible people. You know, and you start wishing maybe they still had leprosy. You think this is awful. But, you know, I think we see this in our own world. Two people sit in the same circumstances. Maybe they have the same job. They're in the same school. Maybe in the, waiting in the same line. Or even sitting in the same worship service. And one is filled with grumbling while the other is filled with gratitude. How does that happen? How can that happen? I've thought about this. You know what I think the difference is? What some people perceive as a right, other people see as a gift. For me to be grateful, I must see what I'm getting as a gift that I did not deserve. As long as I feel entitled to something, I cannot express gratitude for it. Now, I know we kind of turn this into kind of political conversation, too. These people are just entitled for what they're getting. But, I mean, how often do you get frustrated when all of it... We expect things to be they are, the way they are. But we feel entitled to when I flip that switch that the lights turn on. That doesn't happen everywhere. I expect when I turn that knob the water to pour out. That doesn't happen everywhere. We are entitled, too. Because we don't see where we live and what we have access to as a gift. You know, I bet if we stopped any of the other nine guys and we said, are you thankful for what's happened to you? What do you think they'd say? Are you kidding me? Of course. Of course I am. My life's been changed. Of course I'm thankful. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. But only one of them took time to return to just say thank you, not just say thank you, but to throw himself at his feet, loudly glorifying God and say thank you, thank you, thank you. There is an enormous difference between feeling gratitude and expressing gratitude. Nobody thinks they're guilty of being ungrateful. You know, nobody says, well, I, I struggle with that. You know, we know of other people that do. You know, my kids are so ungrateful. You know, my family's so ungrateful. My neighbors are so ungrateful. We say that, but we don't think of ourselves in those terms. We say, well, I mean, I may struggle with getting angry too easily or maybe experiencing jealousy, but not gratitude. But the truth is we are much more ungrateful than we think we are. The reason is uh, not because we can't think right now of something we're thankful for. That's not the reason. It's because unexpressed gratitude is taken for ingratitude. When we don't express gratitude, that comes across as being ungrateful. The people around you need to hear you say thank you. Of course, we bless God for what he's done for us, but what about the people you live with? Husbands, your wives need to hear you say thank you. Wives, your husbands need to hear that. I know you can think more easily of what irritates you right now about them, but you need to tell them thank you. Your parents, they need to hear that from you. Your coworkers, your supervisor, whoever it may be. Let's be grateful people. Don't live an entitled life. See life and its blessings as a gift. You know, most of the time that we think about thanking God, we think of possessions that we have. I'm so thankful for my house or all these things. But if you look in the scriptures, it provides a full list of reasons to be grateful that do not include possessions. Psalm 35, God is thanked for his deliverance. Psalm 52 and 107, he's thanked uh, for loving us and for being faithful. In Psalm 118, for hearing my cry. 
Thank you, God, for hearing my cry. In Acts 28, after somebody um, is, has safe arrival after a long journey, they say, thank you to God that you kept me safe. In Romans 1, thank God for other believers who have a testimony of their faith. Thank you, God, for them. Romans 6, for the gift of salvation that enables me not to sin. Romans 7, for delivering us from that tendency to sin. And own and own and own. Let's stop talking about being thankful and let's start being thankful. Being one in ten begins with trusting Jesus and praising Jesus, but ultimately it is about believing Jesus for salvation. Verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Jesus asked three rhetorical questions. He don't want them answered. He's just trying to prove a point. Were there not ten cleansed? What about the other nine? Are none of them going to glorify God except for the foreigner? Well, after posing these questions, Jesus says that the man's faith has made him well. That's a spiritual implication. All ten had been healed from leprosy. But this one man experienced healing from a spiritual ailment. See, there is something worse than leprosy, right? It's sin. Sin is the disease that has had the most devastating effects on every one of us. We have all been infected by it. It wrecks our relationships. It ruins our world. It makes life difficult. It leaves us shouting from a distance because we're cut off from God. You can see it. You can hear it. You can smell it. You can touch it. It's been devastating on us. But God, but God. But God in his grace has, has made grace available to us. Just like it was made available to the ten lepers, but only one came back and received it. Because you must receive salvation, which is found only in Jesus. So it is God's providence that grants us all the blessings of life. We all get to experience the, the light and the heat that's produced by the sun. We all get to experience the rain that produces the vegetation that keeps the water uh, the world watered, and uh, we all experience that. It doesn't require anything of us to receive it. But salvation must be received. It is available to everyone in the same way, by grace, through faith in Jesus. But in order to experience the blessing of salvation, we must receive it by believing in Jesus. So ten guys get healed. Only one comes back, the Samaritan. This is the one who is the double outcast. And it proves the point that no one is too far from being saved. No one is too far gone. No one is far enough away from God to be received, uh, to receive salvation. So here's the bottom line. Are you going to be like the nine who just keep going? I know you've got lives to keep up with. You're busy. You're very important. Are you going to be like the nine or are you going to be like the one? The one in ten who comes back. Today is your opportunity to come to God in faith. God wants you in his family. That's the whole rescue mission is about in the life of Jesus. It's to save you. It's to bring you into his family. Do you believe that God loves you so much that he would send Jesus to go to the cross so that you could be forgiven of sins and be received into his family? Would you receive that forgiveness and that salvation today? 
You know, we have so much to be thankful for, but there is nothing that is higher on the list than the salvation that we receive because of the shed blood of Jesus. Today is a day to say thank you. This week is a week to say thank you. And so I thought as I close in prayer, you whisper prayers of thanks to God because we want to be a grateful people. Our Father in God, we just say thank you. The list is too long to name. And God, sometimes that prevents us from saying thank you. And so right now in this moment, we thank you for this church, for these relationships. God, we thank you for this word that's been preserved for us. We thank you for the life of Jesus, the miracles he did to provide healing, and now the miracle that we can receive in salvation. Lord, as people come to respond, I pray that you would bless this time. Pray that you would bless those who are joining us by television, by the internet, Lord, that they might respond to you as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, if God's speaking to your heart, maybe it's about salvation. Maybe it's about joining the church. Maybe it's about a prayer need. Maybe it's a recommitment. We're going to be down front. If you need to respond, you come forward. We'd love to receive you. You stand as the choir sings. You respond.